Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You know, Phil, Patino would have been fired if not for that giant buyout, right. my friend. Did you see Reavers and I punching back and forth <laughs> on Twitter last night? It was lovely. It was just great. <laughs> he was so defensive. I, uh, I dug up some old Royce and Reavers Patino <laughs> critiques, shall we say, after their Providence win last night. <laughs> Poor guy. Reavers was... wasn't happy about it. <laughs> Poor guy was 15 beers in and Matthew took advantage of him. Oh, 15 yeah. IPAs. I still love you, Chris. I love you, Chris, but I got to call you out. I don't love you, Chris. <laughs> not at yeah, all. No, I'm, I'm with Kenny. Danny, I'm with you on this. He knows. They got him outside where he can dribble drive. A tough matchup for the bigs. This kid, explosive with some strength. He's got good touch. You know, he's really worked very hard to develop that. Um, you know, and it's, it's just been hours upon hours in the gym. And he's got that little spin move uh, touch off the glass. He's kind of that hybrid forward, like you said. I mean, he's he's put in the time, and he's reaping the rewards of him. So that was a great win. I mean, we we just showed great poise and toughness at the end. Uh, Jordan Murphy was ridiculous. Um, Nate Mason just showed great heart. Amir Coffey made some big plays. Uh, I, I challenged our guys to come together. If you want to get a tough road win, you got to come together, and they did. Legit, I got to be honest, that game kind of snuck up on me personally, I, and maybe for a lot of fans who've been in Vikings world and, you know, the Wolves and the Wild got off to their starts and, and uh, you know, the Twins were in the mix and all of a sudden, like, boom, it's go for basketball season and the second game of the year uh-huh. is a legit test. Providence has been to the NCAA tournament four straight years. They've been above 500 in the Big East almost every year the last several years. And that's a tough road environment. They go in national TV and they take care of business last night. So... That's a that's not going away on your resume. That stays there until March. That's a big win for the Gophers. By the way, so I, I went on fr- on Friday night to the opener and then watched last night. Jordan Murphy is off to a phenomenal start. I mean, he's not. This isn't just good. In the first two games now, so on Friday against uh, against um, what is it? South Carolina. Some directional. South situation. Carolina. Upstate. Upstate. Thirty-five points and fifteen <laughs> boards. Last night. Comes back against a more a much more legit team. 23 points and 14 boards. And uh, he looks bigger. And if you remember, we Jordan Murphy two years ago came here and was really good, I thought. Because the team was awful. And he played really well. He was like the lone brights. Yeah. Him and maybe Nate Mason. Yeah. And so, so you thought to yourself, this guy is going to be legit. And he came back at the start of last year. And I dug this stat up this morning. In his first 23 games last year, the most points he scored was 18, and he was held to single digits 12 times. Mm -hmm. In the second half of last year, after that, he averaged 15.1 points and uh, basically 12 boards in his last 11 games. 
And now he looks better than that. So halfway through the season, Richard Pitino sat down and had a, essentially a come-to-Jesus meeting with Jordan Murphy. And there might have been a game that you could, if you look at the game log, I don't have it in front of me, where he, they had the come-to-Jesus meeting. And then like the game after that, he had a bunch of rebounds and kind of went bonkers. And he, he he sat down and told Jordan, "Listen, you're talented. You just have like you you got to be more assertive. You got to figure out the two or three places on the court that are efficient for you to get points, mm-hmm. and just eat those places for lunch. Get to the block. Get to the places that you feel comfortable, and take over. We need you to be one of our best players. And ever since then, and now he's. I actually have five observations I want to run by you off of uh, that game last night. It was my first game. I didn't watch the first game. You did. February 8th, uh, double OT against the Hawkeyes here. He went from a two-point game the game before to scoring uh, 25 points and grabbing 19 boards. That's that's, that's the game where it all changed. There was a come-to-Jesus meeting there like the the, the day before that or something. Um, So I've got five observations. Last night was my first chance to kind of take in the Gopher basketball team in 2017. Observation number one is what you just brought up. Jordan Murphy has gone, apparently, it's been two games, but that's a legit opponent last night. He's gone from being a solid, nice player to being an absolute beast and a guy that you can maybe just ride for long chunks of games. I mean, he has post moves. He rebounds. He has range. He blocked a bunch of shots, too. I mean, he's he's kind of become this all-encompassing player, yeah. Uh, observation number two, Isaiah Washington, one of the top freshman point guards in the country, a four-star point guard, mm-hmm. is very good. He can he's, he's got handles. He distributes. He made a couple big-time shots when Providence was going on a run there in the first half. He's confident. I mean, he's already, as a freshman, sort of getting in the face of teammates to not, not to be like a petulant child, but, hey, I know basketball, and this is where you need to be over here. You don't see a lot of confident leadership uh, quality point guards, freshman players like that. I think he's going to be a bit up and down. On Friday, he was one for nine and just it didn't ha- have it. He was he just looked bad. Last night, came back and looked good. I think about halfway through though, he's going to start to pick up and be really really good. Yeah, observation number three that kind of plays off that. The Gophers, if you watch the first couple games here, you get a sense that they have multiple players who can at least get past a defender and then create for themselves or create for somebody else. Isaiah Washington did it. He split a number of double teams last night. Huh? Nate Mason, Dupree McBrayer, we've seen those guys be able to get around a defender, open things up, uh, you know, draw guys in, kick out to the corners. Amir Coffey can do those things. He hasn't done a lot of it in the first two games. Jordan Murphy blew by some defenders. Like, they... When you watch Gopher games, the Joey King era Gophers, where you know, Joey's out there, he's the best player, no, he's spot-up shooter. They went 2-16 and 16 in conference. They didn't really have anybody that could just get a shot off no. when they needed to. No, not even close. And now they time. have a bunch of those guys. Yep. A uh, couple critiques here in my five observations. Number four, Eric Curry being out for the season is going to be sort of problematic from a depth perspective. The Gophers just don't have a ton of guys coming off the bench. And, like, Bakari Kanate is mostly unplayable. They it's, had to play him for 10 minutes last it's night. It's going to be a big deal. And Devontae Fitzgerald hasn't played in three years. Mm-hmm. And he has looked really clunky for the most part. Bad shots, fumbling rebounds. They just need those guys to come in and rebound and stand in front of, 
you know, just defend and rebound, basically. I think Fitzgerald has a chance to be okay. It's, it's just going to take some time. Kanade is who he is, and it's not going to change. Uh, he's unplayable. It's yeah. not going to change. But the, the Curry dynamic, in fact, I think Patino uh, has talked about this publicly. That's the one thing he says is going to be a big sticking point because Curry would have been huge off the bench. Yeah. And and with what they have right now, it's not an easy uh, deal to replace him. Yeah, and if, if a Murphy or a Lynch gets into foul trouble, then yeah. all of a sudden, like, now yeah, you got to bring just in. brought up a key point again. Uh, and then, and then my fifth observation, and that was the, the, probably the first game that most people watched the Gophers play last night. Uh, they, they're having a bit of a tough time getting everyone involved. They only had one assist in the first half, but they still won the game. Like uh, Washington and Mason are kind of driving the offense, and then you got to get Coffee going, you got to get Jordan Murphy going, mm-hmm. you got to get McBrayer the ball. So uh, Amir Coffee was mostly just a spot up shooter last night, and he knocked out a bunch of threes, but he's more than that. And so they got to find a way at some point here. To get the ball moving around, to to just make sure that everyone's getting touches, which I think and, they'll do. Yes, uh, to, but that was that was a legit win last night. To uh, to your list, I I would say this: Amir Coffee. It's going to be especially as you get uh, close to conference play. It's going to be imperative that he gets more aggressive and takes shots. And he needs to when when he gets the ball, he needs to at times take o- over the game. He can't. He he wants to defer. He shouldn't defer. Um, the other thing, which was a problem last year, it was a problem last night, and this is going to be an undoing in some Big Ten games. Reggie Lynch has to stay out of foul trouble. If you have Lynch and Murphy on the court together in Big Ten games, you're going to be tough. You are super tough. But if Lynch continues to get called for fouls, and I don't know if this is a deal where he has to pick his spots of how to get blocks or what, but if you take him off the floor now, it's a huge loss. So if you can find a way to consistently keep Murphy and Lynch on the floor in Big Ten play, you're going to be very, very good. If you can, it changes a lot. Um, and by the way, uh, a lot of national guys from Andy Katz to Seth Davis trumpeting the Gophers. In fact, I think it was Seth Davis on Twitter last night that called them a Final Four team. Okay, he said a Final Four caliber That's very team. nice, but let's slow that roll just a, a little, little bit, bit, Seth. A little just bit, slow yeah. down. It's game two. I mean, it is. You could see how this team would compete with anybody else in the country just with their personnel, and they can have multiple lineups, and if Reggie Lynch isn't in foul trouble. But let's, let's, let's let the third yeah. game take place before we go. Niagara on Wednesday. Let's yeah. see how she goes. Ding, ding. Step back jumper. Good. Ding. Jeff T. If you went for the steal and the hammer. Towns, two buckets early. There's Towns up top. Had a mismatch with Mitchell. Butler, Teague. Fires it up, nothing but net. That's old school, Jimmy Butler. That's Jimmy Buckets. Take your time, basketball. Pump fake, get him in the air, off the bank, glass, and go to the other end. Timberwolves uh, taking care of the Jazz on the road last night. All right, I know that I am the king of panicking and and becoming irrationally upset, but can we, after last night, all calm down off of the Phoenix loss? That was... I think that what I saw on Twitter uh, after that Phoenix loss by the Wolves on Saturday, in which, yes, they blew it. They blew it bad. Defensively, they fell apart. I think that might have been the most overreaction I have ever seen, though, to a early regular season NHL or NBA game, okay? So last night, you came back. If, If you're a Wolves fan... Corzo, keep in mind that this morning you're eight and five. You are now tied uh, with two other teams for the best start in Wolves history. You have now won, or you've now played eight of thirteen on the road. You're four and four in those games. I get it. We all want to see the Wolves make the playoffs, and we all want to see the Wolves be good. And I'm with you all on that. 
but we all need to calm down just a little bit off of Saturday, and I think last night should you have know, done it. So I'm glad I did. I didn't watch the game on Saturday night. I was with family, college football, uh, a bunch of college football fans, my Wisconsin oh, part of the family. So you're watching Notre Dame Miami, sure. and I'm thinking, I was checking the score on my phone, thinking, I could, I guess I could, like, stream the game. And said, No, I don't need to be invested, like, <laughs> every minute of every game. I don't need to be subjected to the ridiculous overreaction of a team that's trying to gel for the first time playing together, the first 13 games. Um, so, yeah, like, I... I'm, I, I was able to detach myself from that Suns game, and maybe it was ugly, but you're going to get those ugly games. And the Jazz, without their best player, Rudy Gobert, you put your foot on their throat. Now, I, a couple nitpicky things off the game last night. When you take a 26-point lead in the third quarter, I don't care how it ends up. Like you know, Your starters shouldn't finish the game playing 40 minutes each. So I know they let the lead slip away a little bit, but could... But I know. Could Tom Thibodeau have... Started the fourth quarter with the bench. Um, the bench probably isn't going to blow a 24, 26-point lead in that spot. But the, So nitpicky thing, you're up by 26 in the third. It never got really close. I think it got cut to 10 or 9 at one point, like with a minute to go in the fourth. But it ne- the game was never in jeopardy. Is that a game where your starters have to play 40 minutes? And well, then... and I, then the, It's what he does, and I don't get it, the, but it's what he does. The only other nitpicky thing from yes. that game, and it's it's a it's a big-picture theme, Carl Anthony Towns is an incredible offensive player, but he's so lost on defense sometimes. And Jim Pete did a great job on the broadcast pointing out, hey, when when a dribbler gets by a defender and, and you're the big man in the middle and it's your job, you got to keep tabs on the guy you're guarding, but you also have to figure out, is it time to help on uh, somebody else's guy? And Towns sometimes just doesn't pick one or the other. He just picks neither and stands off to the side while the opponent you know, gets a wide-open shot or a layup or mm-hmm. something. So um, other than that, hey, I thought Ricky Ruby did a great job in the second half. But props to him on the bench for cheering his teammates on. The Rubio apologists were awfully are, quiet last are you, night. Are you, re- are you ready for the Rubio research desk to show up and tell you exactly <laughs> how bad it's become for Ricky? Ricky in his first eight games. So this was when this was when we were seeing uh, tweets from people saying, "You see, Tibbs didn't know what he was doing." Jeff Teague stinks. You gave up Ricky Rubio. Well, that was the first eight games with the Jazz. He scored seventeen and a half points per game. Shot forty four percent from the field, thirty seven percent from three point range. Had six point five assists uh, per game and pulled down approximately five rebounds. Okay, that's the first eight games. Last six games, including last night's Rubio debacle, which, as you said, he didn't play in the fourth quarter. He scored three points. Last six games, he's averaging 8.5 points. He is shooting 25% from the field. He has made one of 23 three-point shots. He was 0 for 6 last night. Keep keep shooting, buddy. that is .043%, 4.3 assists, and 2.3 rebounds. In the same time span, the last six games, Jeff Teague is at 13 points a game and 7.3 assists. And by the way, he's shooting 39% from the field and three-point range. My head just exploded a little bit, but I think you're trying to say that Ricky Rubio has been craptastic so far. I'm saying Ricky Rubio is regressing back to who Ricky (laughs) Rubio is going, is destined to be. And the the only question in this town right now is were the Vikings smarter for finally severing ties with Adrian Peterson or the Wolves smarter for finally severing ties with Ricky Rubio? Because both were addition by subtraction. Yeah, Jeff Teague wasn't amazing last night. He scored a bunch of points, but Ricky Rubio had three times as many turnovers as made shots in that game. But if he only had nine all-stars around him, if he like if he had 
if he had the full Western Conference All Star team around him, he'd be great. He just can't shoot. And by and by the way, Wolf uh, Tibbs was in full voice last night. I declared earlier this year in like the first five games, I said I think Butler's presence is actually making Tibbs quieter. Tibbs was on. You could hear him on the broadcast. He was part of the every broadcast every second of last night. Yep. So uh, so Wolves win. Gophers win. You know he's a he's a very uh, excitable guy, and uh, you know he sometimes you know he gets off the reservation a little bit. He just has to. You know, I talked to him a little bit this morning about you know understanding the situation of the game and where we're at and. Sometimes a throwaway is a good, good, a good thing. You said you haven't you spoken to everybody yet about who's the starting quarterback. Do you know who it's going to be? Yes. Why would I tell you? And I haven't told anybody else. So Mike Zimmer mm-hmm. is uh, playing his cards close to the vest on who the starting quarterback is going to be against the Rams. Let's come back and discuss this. Is he playing his cards close to the vest because he's going to? go away from Case Keenum and start Teddy Bridgewater, or is he just trying to keep the Rams guessing and roll with the hot hand? Uh, Matthew Collar is going to join us from the Purple Podcast and 1500ESPN.com. He also sat down with Rick Spielman recently to get some insight into the most ferocious and probably the best defensive line in the NFL to this point in the 2017 season. So we can do all that. With Collar next, Mackie and Judd. Mackie and Judd are back. Put down the sports page and listen. On 1500 ESPN. You know, he's a he's a very uh, excitable guy. And, uh, you know, he sometimes, you know, he gets off the reservation a little bit. He just has to, you know, I talked to him a little bit this morning about, you know, understanding the situation of the game and where we're at. And sometimes a throwaway is a good a good thing. You no know, guys like Matthew Collar, they're always such downers about Case Keenum. You got you guys gotta send that guy back to Buffalo where he belongs. <laughs> the guy is playing great football, the Vikings are winning, and all is right in the world. I'm out. Yeah, go back to Buffalo, Collar. <laughs> what is this the Jim Rome? What was that the Jim Rome show you were hosting? Yeah. I'm out. <laughs> great call. Rack that call. Rack I uh, discovered that you here in Minnesota have a buffalo that isn't that far away. That's, so. that's where I graduated high school. <laughs> oh, okay. I gradu- so. We've never talked about this. I graduated high school from Buffalo, Minnesota. Oh, all right. So he wants me to move approximately one hour away from here. Well, that's a long commute, sir. It's very, no, it's you know, it's about 45 minutes. Yeah, if you take 55 straight, you hit, hit some green lights. It's pretty Tra- close, actually. Traffic? Traffic, though? I mean, I live in Richfield now, and it takes like 30 minutes yeah, to get 12, here in traffic. Twelve's done now. You know, Buffalo High School has done a great job updating their facilities. Uh, <laughs> I really think we're on the rise. Uh, but the, here, right. here's here's what Mike Zimmer said about who's going to start a quarterback, because he's left the door open the entire time. Who's going to start a quarterback this weekend against the Rams? He said you haven't you spoken to everybody yet about who's the starting quarterback. Do you know who it's going to be? Yes. Why would I tell you, and I haven't told anybody else? <laughs> So, do you think Matthew Collar? That sounds Mike worse Zimmer, than it was. He well, was he the follow up. The, the follow up by Tom, I think Pelissero got cut out, which was, "Do you care to tell us?" Yeah, yeah. And yeah. then he followed up with, sure. uh, "Why would I?" Do tell you, you guys think he is strongly considering starting Teddy Bridgewater, or do you think he's just playing games with the Rams? I think he is probably playing games with the Rams. That he's probably going to start Case Keenum. 
It's very hard to bench a quarterback after he wins on the road and his team produces 38 points. But if you listen to the rest of that press conference, <laughs> he He's laying was, the groundwork. <laughs> was really not saying Case Keenum is my guy. And not only that, but when he was asked about the mistakes by Keenum in the second half, I mean, he couldn't help himself from saying it was his exact quote, I think, was it was really bad. The interceptions and they were really bad and they were classic Case Keenum gets overexcited is one way of saying makes really stupid mistakes sometimes because that's what backup quarterbacks do. I mean, like with Case Keenum, this guy who wants to send me 45 minutes away to live for whatever reason, uh, the, the, the thing about Case Keenum this year is that when you review every game that he's had, there are a couple that are okay, one that is really, really good, and there's a lot of circumstance and luck and scheme involved. And Pat Shermer deserves to be the MVP of this team for how much he's gotten out of Case Keenum. He's worked to his strengths exceptionally well. He can throw a halfway decent deep ball, sometimes even a really good one. But a lot of it has been the screen passes. He throws four touchdowns, but the longest one, I think, was seven yards. Like in the air I mean, or, or, or overall. Yeah. I think so, right? Yeah. You had the one-yard one to yeah, uh, David yeah. Morgan. So, the... Well, here's where, okay, because you watch film and, and you, I mean, like Kean Fahey was from pre-snap reads who has been a friend of, of 1590ESPN.com and the Purple Podcast. I think fans are wondering on a surface level, why would anyone consider when you're winning and Case Keenum's putting up the at least the result numbers that he is, the touchdowns, the yardage, Kean Fahey said on ESPN.com, it was a, like a just a video chat or a web thing that there were four interceptable passes by Keenum against Washington. Yeah. He flat out said he wasn't good, but like the numbers look good. Yep. Four interceptable passes. And also he pointed out how wide open receivers are because of the scheming yeah. and the the like, route running. Just go go back and watch the, the first pick. But fan, but fans are wondering like right. why would but you ever I, consider but, and it's a legit question. But we but we explained this on the show Monday. Go back and watch the first pick and understand that's not only a terribly thrown pass, okay, that's starting point A collar, but point B is Jarek McKinnon's open on essentially a check down. Mm-hmm. He doesn't he doesn't look at him. Adam Thielen comes over. Adam Thielen over the middle. That's points. He doesn't look at, at him. All, that play right there, if you want to know why a coach would say, okay, I got to think about doing so, something else here, just go back and watch that one play. Yeah. That, that one play is that simple. Well, there's another one earlier in the game, too, where Josh Norman drops an interception that we will never remember. The stats, the box score, we'll never remember. But if Norman picks that ball off, it's possible they lose this game because Washington was moving the ball pretty well. And he keeps Washington in the game with those interceptions, and they're both really atrocious interceptions. Uh, the pro football focus, the way they grade, is on a scale from minus two to two. So minus two is like the worst throw you can have, and two would be like a John Elway bomb. And, I mean, those are minus two throws. Just there is no justification for throwing them. It's about as the, the out route to Kyle Rudolph. How do you not see the guy? How do you float it out there? I mean, these are the things that exist in Case Keenum's skill set. And I totally agree with what Kean Fahey is saying about scheming guys open. And they've done a great job, and Case Keenum has given you everything you ever could have dreamed of. But you can win the Super Bowl with great quarterbacking. And the one game where they had a real starting quarterback, he had the best day of his career and shredded a New Orleans defense, which has actually turned out to be much better than we thought it was that night. 
That's what this offense could be looking at. And when you compare what Case Keenum has done, I mean, people are acting like these numbers are otherworldly. This is the NFL in 2017. Most of the top contenders' passing numbers are better than this. I mean, the 11 touchdowns is nice. 7.3 yards an attempt, okay. 92 rating, okay. They're all like league average. But, but that's what, where everything has gone right for him, and those are his numbers. And go through the games and tell me where he was really good. You can't argue he was really good on Sunday because he nearly threw the game away. So, okay, good and bad on Sunday. Cleveland, mostly bad, right? Second half, he came through mostly bad. Baltimore, very bad. Green Bay, mostly bad, if not completely bad through the whole game. Chicago, he was good. But a lot of scheme, a lot of short passes, and a 58-yard touchdown right. run from Jarek so, McKinnon so, helped you win that game. So the second part to this is, okay, if we all can agree, let's let's be objective about Case Keen. Let's take the quarterback beer goggles off, and let's let's call it what it is. It's been a serviceable performance behind a great defense and a bunch of weapons, and it's well-schemed. We all agree that great quarterback play maybe brings the first ever Super Bowl championship to the Twin Cities. How sure are we that Teddy Bridgewater is going to be a clear upgrade having not played in a meaningful NFL game for almost two full calendar years? Because that's the second part of the equation. I think I think you've got the ability to find that out, though. That's the key. You sure. can always if you if you said we can't bring Keenum back because he's destroyed by being benched, yeah. that would be different. I think the key to this is even if it doesn't work out perfect, you can bring Keenum back. He won't be hurt at all. He's been through this a million times. He wasn't hurt when they brought back Sam Bradford, and then he came in. The, the really good part about this from a locker room standpoint is that both guys are really liked in the locker room. Both guys seem to really like each other. And I think uh, if you asked Case Keenum, let's just say that you were uh, out and Case Keenum sat down next to you and you guys had a couple and you said, Case, who's the better quarterback? He'd be like, oh, Teddy, are you serious? Have you seen him in practice? And the, the, the thing about how good he could be when he comes back, that we don't know. But how much Zimmer is not supporting Case Keenum in his public comments makes me think in practice that Teddy is looking really good. And when we would see him before he was able to actually practice with the team, when we would see him sometimes as we'd walk by and he'd be out there after practice, I mean, he looked like a a regular NFL quarterback with his explosiveness, just how he was taking his dropbacks and the velocity on some of his throws. We've seen him throw sometimes after practice. He'll be on the side with some wide receivers chucking it around, and it looks, I mean, it's hard to say, right? When he really gets back in there and the bullets are flying, so to speak, uh, that's hard to know. But at least from the way Zimmer's acting, it's like, okay, he's ready to go in practice, and now it's just when we actually want to do that, and I don't think that's this week. The most important word that Zimmer has used at least three to four times in the uh, past two days after the game on Sunday, and then he he uh, used it again a couple times on m- Monday, and Collar alluded to it, is the word excitable. That is the worst word. You might as well call him an MF. <laughs> that is the worst word you can use is when it? it comes to, oh yeah, because because what that is essentially say, uh, no head coach wants a quarterback who he deems excitable because that means he panics and makes bad, that's called for, uh, yeah, panic, that's called for the... panic, which leads to mistake. So I think the fact the fact yeah. that Zimmer is using that word on a regular basis basically is saying I don't think I can trust it. Let's take one call on this quick, and we can open up the phone lines. Uh, take a couple calls from now until the end of the hour six five one six four six eight two five five. Because 
it does feel like the majority of Vikings fans are in protect what you have right now. Everything's going the right direction. Ride the hot hand. Um, so it's it's an interesting discussion going forward here. If the Super Bowl is your goal, Danny, what's going on? Hey, what's going on, guys? What do you got? I was wondering if Mike Zimmer is considering in his decision whether to which quarterback to start, whether the fact that the offensive line has only given up three sacks in five games is coming into play, so he thinks he can keep Teddy clean. Well, that is, Danny, I would say that's the biggest difference when people try to point to Teddy Bridgewater in 2015. Mm-hmm. Well, you guys are over-glorifying his numbers. No. Wow. What people are doing is they're trying to project what Teddy Bridgewater at age 24 in a perfectly crafted system and strong pass blocking and weapons around him. Thielen was not even really a main target in 2015. So add that to the mix as well. well. The example that I like to use about how much your situation impacts your statistics is Tom Brady. The year before he threw 50 touchdowns, he threw 24. And then he got Randy Moss and he threw 50. I mean... Think about the starting tackles that Teddy Bridgewater was playing with, Matt Khalil and TJ Clemmings, as opposed to Riley Reef and Mike Remmers. He was playing in an offense that was focused on Adrian Peterson. And another thing, too, about Bridgewater is that he didn't run up scores on teams. He played to the score a lot of times, knowing that they had good defense. They scored on a lot of their drives. They were the seventh best in scoring percentage, number of drives that they actually scored on. But a lot of times, there were they were up get up by two scores, make sure we get a field goal here. That's what they needed Case Keenum to do and on they were, Sunday. Instead, he threw two interceptions in a row. And they were bad in the red zone in 2015, mostly because Adrian Peterson touched the ball 360 times that year. And when they got inside the 10 or the 20, they thought, let's feed the beast instead yeah. of what's the best way in a cluttered area of the field to get the ball into the end zone. And I, I think about it this way, too. Yeah, they were, I think, uh, third in the NFL in rushing touchdowns in 2015. And if you had just, instead of 18 rushing touchdowns, Teddy Bridgewater had thrown a two-yard touchdown, because those weren't all home runs by Adrian Peterson. Only a couple were. So if he had just thrown a two-yard touchdown instead, his quarterback rating would have been something like 95, and he would have had 25 touchdowns. You would have looked at it totally differently. There's some people cannot get over that touchdown number when it's really not a stat that tells yeah, you anything. That's but scheme and play calling. To uh, to Danny's point, the offensive line, it makes a huge impact on what you would expect from Teddy Bridgewater. And I think, yes, that the fact that Case Keenum has not taken hits, the fact that he hasn't taken sacks, would give you a lot more confidence in bringing back a quarterback that's coming off of a severe knee injury than it would if it was T.J. Clemmings and Matt Khalil yeah. still. He's been Absolutely. sacked five times in the seven games he's played so far. Matthew Collar hanging out with us from the Purple Podcast and 1500ESPN.com. Uh, we have to get into the article, the big feature column that was on our website front and center all weekend. Collar sat down, talked to Rick Spielman about what I think objectively is the best defensive line in the NFL in 2017. So we'll get the inside scoop on that and more. It's Mackie and Judd. Phil Mackie. Son, your ego is writing checks your body can't cash. Judd Zolgad. Whose butt did you kiss to get in here? Huh? Well, the list is long but distinguished. Mackie and Judd on 1500 ESPN. And you said you haven't you spoken to that. everybody yet about who's the starting quarterback. Do you know who it's going to be? Yes. Why would I tell you and I haven't told anybody else? I love it. So, He's the best. So here's the thing, though. Zim, my guess is Zim was smiling, Collar. He and was. was very yes. happy. Yes. Zim's got us right where he wants us now. 
Because while I do believe he's going to make this change, up until the time he does, he is going to be able to play the the game with, by the way, two pretty good quarterbacks of, you're not going to know who I'm starting. And and NFL coaches love to play that game. Childress did it, but the problem was it was Kelly Holcomb or Tavares Jackson, and we're like, really? Yeah, I think this is more about— (laughs) This is actually pretty good. Don't you think, though, defensively, if you're the Rams— the scheme is what's working for the Vikings. It's like we talked about in, in that last segment. So regardless of who you're prepping for, they're both sort of mobile. I understand, know. but I'm just saying coaches love to be able to play this game. Sure. It's just it's, a silly little game It's usually meaningless for the most part. Yes. Now, if it's Michael Vick in his prime or like a statuesque backup, okay, I'd, I'd like to know that as a defensive coordinator. But if it's mostly two pocket guys, it's more about the scheme that you're prepping for. Kyler, I want to run this by you real quick here. We can get to We'll take an Ed's call here in a second because... I know people are very split on who the Vikings should start at quarterback going forward, but I think it's all crystallized for me that Case Keenum long-term, if we're talking like the next five years, he's in the same bin as the Brian Hoyer who got really hot for like two and a half months with the Texans and then threw five picks in a playoff game. Uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick. Yeah, Josh McCown. Sure, like guys who for three months will show you a little tease of, oh, that might be a new plateau for that quarterback, but really he's just going to be a borderline backup could start once in a while. The question is, is that good enough to win you a Super Bowl this year? Can he stay hot, quote-unquote, or not derail it long enough? And for Teddy Bridgewater, if we think that Bridgewater is the better quarterback long-term, how quickly can he get there Mm -hmm. after not playing for two years? These are all things you have to consider when you're making this decision. I think there's an easy way to think about it. It is just to remember what, what lens we're looking through it. We're looking through it now at 7-2 and two as a Super Bowl lens, not a hopefully we make the playoffs lens, Super Bowl. And you're also looking through it with a two-game lead on the Detroit Lions, which makes Thanksgiving extremely important in this scenario. Uh, but if you're going to win the Super Bowl as the Minnesota Vikings or get there, so let's just look at the NFC, the quarterbacks you are likely to face, now there's some playoff races going on, You've got a number one overall pick and a number two overall pick right now. Carson Wentz and Jared Goff, they're in the in the race. You've got uh, Ru- Russell Wilson, who's been to two Super Bowls, won one of them, should have handed off to Marshawn Lynch, should have two Super Bowls. He's a Hall of Famer. You have Drew Brees, Hall of Super Bowl winner. Mm-hmm. A good argument for maybe the best quarterback of all time. It's very close. Like, he's up in that conversation, mm-hmm. right? Uh, you have Cam Newton last night, who completely dominated. Looks like his shoulder is healthy. They got rid of their anchor wide receiver, Kelvin Benjamin. He looked great. You have Matt Ryan, who won the MVP of the NFL last year. These are the quarterbacks that you are going to face in the playoffs. One of them or two of them if you won a game. Historically, how often does the Case Keenum of this equation ever win that matchup? Every once in a while. But if you have to tell me about 16 years ago, or if you have to tell me about Denver with Peyton Manning, which I never buy that. Well, you know, Manning wasn't playing that well. It's Peyton Manning. And he got you there playing pretty well in the playoffs. But either way, like how often does this happen? It doesn't almost ever. So I think what you have to find out is whether Teddy Bridgewater can come back and play. Because the one thing that everyone has to agree on is that Bridgewater is the more talented quarterback. And, and this equation, though, and I think because um, of the position that we're discussing, it gets confusing to people. This equation starts with the fact that you have a really good to great defense. All right? Mm-hmm. Yep. So when you go through that list of quarterbacks, I say, I say to myself, okay, those are 
Hall of Fame or outstanding, potentially, QBs. But this defense is so good that if they're healthy, they have a chance to at least contain those guys. Right. So, offensively, I'm not looking for 40 points. Offensively, what you're saying, if you're the Vikings, is, internally, what gives us the best opportunity to score enough points to beat a team that's led by Drew Brees against our defense? So this is really about what gives our defense the best chance to match up and then we score enough points to win that game. And this is why the thought process is what quarterback gives us that opportunity. And point two, which is extremely important too, is what quarterback is less likely to panic and get anxious and screw up in said game. Because that's what this goes back to. When it was Favre, Favre was your guy. You were linked to Brett Favre. Favre was going to play that game against the Saints, and he should have. And ultimately, when he helped lose you that game, that's Brett Favre, the good and the bad. As I told Phil, if Case Keenum throws a pass to Tracy Porter against the Saints, for instance, or the same type of play, you are going to walk out of that stadium saying, Is Tracy Porter still in the league? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) No, but you're going to walk out saying, we blew it. We we blew it because we started a guy we didn't necessarily have to start. Now, your, your focus is on the interceptions, and I'm not disagreeing with you there. In fact, Case Keenum threw more interceptions than touchdowns last season. There's another part of the Case Keenum analysis is he's this isn't his first time. Yeah, track record there, matters. A, it there, does matter. There's a whole body of work with Case Keenum here that his career quarterback rating is 82 and touchdown to interceptions is 35 to 25. I mean, this guy has got backup numbers across the board for his career. This is the first time he's put up starter numbers, and they're just okay. I, throwing away the game at the end is even if you get to that point. Because if you play a game like he did against Cleveland, against the Seattle Seahawks in the playoffs, you lose. If, he, if you play like against Baltimore, if Baltimore had, if okay, so they concussed their only wide receiver early in that game, and then Joe Flacco was sacked or hit 37 yeah, other times. And he's broken times, down. Right? Yes. And you still had to kick a bunch of field goals because you couldn't move the ball through the air and then get a huge day from Latavius Murray to win. Did you see Seattle's running defense against Adrian Peterson the other night? It's going to be very difficult to rely on your run game. You're going to have to beat them in part because of really good quarterback play if you're going to do it in the playoffs. So if you're talking about can Case Keenum get you to the playoffs? Yeah, you're seven and two. He certainly could. Maybe you end up eleven and five this year, or even twelve and four if he, if he has some good games down the stretch. But I think what you have to know is whether there's another person who could play this position to give you a chance against the best quarterbacks in the league, not just can he beat. I mean, run down the list: Mitch Trubisky, Brett Hundley, Joe Flacco. And then Deshaun Kaiser. Yes. It's far more likely Case Keenum is in for some sort of a a fairly significant regression over the next six to eight weeks than it is that he's going to maintain or or elevate to a Super Bowl caliber level of play. Uh, Let's get some thoughts here. We have a couple guys on hold. Ed's been on hold. What are your thoughts, Ed? You're on the show. Okay. My biggest concern is who have they actually beat? You look at the records, and I don't have it in front of me, but my concern is that the NFC or the games they've played, they haven't really beat any solid teams. It kind of reminds me of what they're talking about, the Gophers maybe being bowl eligible by beating nobody. And uh, this is my biggest concern going forward is who have they beat? Now, and it's a legitimate concern. I, I usually look at that through the quarterbacks, uh, but if you look at their wins – 
Right now, they have one win against the team with a winning record, and that team is Green Bay, who is no longer what they were when they got to that well, winning the, record. They beat the Saints, though, in Week 1. Oh, yeah, the Saints. Right, but Case Keenum. Talking about with Case Keenum sure. as their quarterback. And other than that, I mean, you go through the teams. Pittsburgh's a good team. You got thumped. Uh, Detroit's a mediocre team, just above 500, and you lost that one. The rest of them, Tampa Bay's a disaster. Chicago's terrible. Green Bay's playing their backup quarterback. Baltimore's pretty bad. Cleveland is an absolute abomination, as usual. And Washington is a pretty messy team. I mean, you saw that they have some positive things on the offensive side, but their defense, Mm -hmm. sixth in the league in points allowed. So it's not surprising that you put up a good total. I think that, I mean, we do get caught up in all this minutia of trying to parse out what did Teddy do in 2015? What has Case done? Who has he played? How has he won? But when you pull it all back to common sense, Teddy Bridgewater was a guy who convinced the Minnesota Vikings organization in 2014 and 15 that he was going to be their franchise quarterback, that he played well enough for Mike Zimmer to say that he never wanted to have another quarterback other than Teddy Bridgewater. The locker room, the guys who played with him, the wide receivers, to a man, believe that Teddy Bridgewater can be a franchise quarterback. He was a guy with a level of talent that was talked about as a number one overall pick that only dropped because he didn't wear gloves in his pro day. I I mean, this is against Case Keenum, an undrafted guy who lost his job last year. I mean, you don't have to go too crazy to figure out why the Vikings want to lean toward bringing back Bridgewater as soon as they can. And the sooner they can get him into a game to see, and maybe it's, maybe it's, maybe he starts against the Rams, maybe it's second half, whatever it may be. Uh, If it ain't, if it ain't ready yet, if it's just too much rust, they can go back to Case Keenum. Let's switch gears when we come back and get the inside scoop on how the Vikings built this defense and this defensive line with Matthew Collar, Mackie and Judd. The Mackie and Judd Show rolls on. And now for the main event. On 1500 ESPN. Right now on the 1500 ESPN stream player, a Blu-ray combo pack of Overdrive starring Scott Eastwood from the writers of Too Fast, Too Furious and the director of Taken comes an action-packed thrill ride. Overdrive is available now on Blu-ray, DVD, and digital HD rated PG-13 from Paramount Pictures. Head to the 1500 ESPN stream player to find out how you can win. Thank you, Dave. we got Matthew Collar in here. One more. Let's wrap up the quarterback conversation just for two minutes. One more quick call here. Paul's been on hold. What's up, Paul? I just want to challenge something Matthew said. He made it sound like we have a little leeway to to experiment here. And I would challenge that we don't have a lot of leeway uh, based on a few things. Number one, the Vikings schedule is very tough. Detroit Lions schedule is easy as can be. Uh, the wild card to me is Aaron Rodgers. Is he coming back? Are they even going to be hanging in there? If he does come back, I wouldn't count them out. And in the playoffs, you need all the home field advantage you can get to experiment in a game uh, and then possibly lose out on home field or even – you know, the division, because we're experimenting with quarterbacks just to see who's better, I don't think we have that leeway. Uh, it doesn't mean one shouldn't start over the other. Uh, whoever's the hot hand should go. Um, but uh, I don't think we have a lot of leeway. Two-game lead seems like a lot, but it really isn't right now. And I Imagine if this was baseball with the hot hand concept. Like, okay, so um, Derek Jeter's hurt. Um, call this guy up from the minors. You know, it's just career triple A guy that they bring up every once in a while. Man, he's hitting 330 after two months. That's pretty impressive. 
Oh, Jeter's got the old hamstring healed. Uh, what do we do? Uh, I guess we're going to leave in Ted at shortstop instead of bringing back Jeter. Now, it's not that big of a gap with uh, Bridgewater. I guess some people don't think he's as good as Mike Zimmer and I think. Uh, but, I mean, it's the, the the same concept in baseball people would laugh hysterically at. Like, of, of course. I well, mean, maybe we'll, maybe we'll keep trying the AAA guy somewhere else at DH or something, dude, but here, we're not here, keeping our star player off the field. Here's the analogy. I love the baseball analogy because it works in baseball where there's all these ebbs and flows and trends, and Lou Ford can hit 400 for two months, and, like, it doesn't mean he's a 400 hitter. Kyle Gibson was lights out for, like, six weeks after the All-Star break. Yeah. If I yeah. were to post to Twins fans, all right, you got to make a decision. Is Kyle Gibson the number one starter that you're going to ride, like you're going to start him in game one against the Astros if you get there, you're going to start him against the Yankees, and you have to make the decision right now in early December, are you in or out on Kyle Gibson having flipped the switch? I think most reasonable people would say, I'll cash my chips out while the value is high there. I'm not going to ride the hot hand because it's not always going to be hot. Yeah. And if you generally think that the hot hand stays hot, even though historically that hot hand hasn't really been very good at his craft, uh, then you're probably going to lose money, like figuratively. You're going to lose money on on that bet. I mean, look, they do have to keep winning games. There is uh, no question about that. And Detroit does have an easy schedule, and the Vikings schedule does get harder. The Vikings schedule getting harder is part of my equation of needing to find out if Teddy Bridgewater can step back in and be what he is. Now, the the, the part of the equation that if Zimmer came out and gave us the film of a practice and showed us, oh, look at all these things that Bridgewater's doing. He's back. Or if we were allowed in the middle of the season, like we are in training camp, to stand on the sideline, it would be a lot easier. Remember when we were watching Delvin Cook? We were like, oh, he's going to be so good. And then he was so good because that's what we saw in practice. You could project to the games by seeing practice a lot of times. So Zimmer is, but we can't. If I could sit here and tell you, oh man, Bridgewater's moving great, he's throwing lasers, everybody's happy to see him out there, then maybe it would people would feel a little different. But right now there's sort of this hypothetical Teddy that we don't really know what he looks like. And I think that's where it gets hard for people, maybe even harder than the hot hand concept. I think there are some who say don't bench the hot hand, but I think most people would acknowledge healthy Bridgewater's the better quarterback. The knee is what makes it really complicated. And I would say this week I would still stick with Case Keenum. For this week. Yeah. I think something, yeah, he will too. something that Zimmer said last year makes me think they want to start him on the road in Detroit, which is he was hesitant to start Sam Bradford against Green Bay in his first game because of the sort of pomp and circumstance around opening the stadium, being at home. He thought it added extra pressure being at home for that game as opposed to being on the road. That makes me think Keenum gets this week. He probably plays, and eh, okay, maybe all right, or not good, and then you go to Detroit and bring back Teddy Bridgewater. That's kind of how I see it playing out. That's what I think his plan that makes is. Perfect sense, though. But three, if three games. if Keenum has a perfect quarterback rating and four touchdowns against the Rams, and they destroy them, then Keenum is going to continue to play. They are in a very good place, and I, I think it's. I think that that as these conversations evolve, we get to oh my gosh, what are, are they going to do? I think what we have to understand is ordinarily in a quarterback quandary, there's panic about oh my, who are we going to play? This is not that. Yeah. This is this is the luxury of saying this is a really good team with a possibly great defense. What offensively gives you the best chance and what they're trying to project is as we just talked about, when you're playing the best teams, what's going so let's not project about well, well he did this against Tampa and then Green Bay which was decimated defensively, he did this against them. Mm-hmm. This is a conversation about what can you do offensively when you are playing the Rams 
maybe in the playoffs, or the Saints. Go down that list and say what gives you the best chance. Yeah, I uh, I also wouldn't call it experimenting. I'd call it bringing back your franchise quarterback. I mean, that, that, that's not that isn't. Hey, you know, we drafted this guy in the fourth round. Let's just bench Keenum for him yeah. for a while. Let's throw in Kyle Sloter because whatever. I mean, that's what it sounds like. No, no, no. You're bringing back the guy that your entire organization, top to bottom, believed in after yeah. 2015. The guy that drove you down the field in the NFC playoffs and beat the Seahawks, if not for a missed 27-yarder. Can you stick for 10 more minutes Yeah. to uh, talk about defense? Because we, we really should get into this. You had a conversation with Rick Spielman about the building of this defense and defensive line. Let's talk about that when we come back. It's Matthew Collar. We have a pecking order. How far did the Vikings climb at 10-15? Brian Windhorst to talk Timberwolves and uh, Tom Thibodeau, Jimmy Butler, etc. at 11 o'clock. Wetmore on Twins, Rumors, and Hot Stove. And Myron Medcalf at 12-15 on the Gophers Hoops team. Off to a good start with that win last night. Mackie and Judd.